This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear new kids on the block on the stereo. So, next time you're in the Chicago area, you can master your favorite arcade games step-by-step at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And you're listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Aren't they, Mike? Aren't they? Tell them. Tell them. Indeed they are. <laughs> and we're broadcasting live, or, well, you and I are broadcasting live to each other, but live to MP3, I guess you would say. Exactly. Live to tape. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. No Quarter is recorded in front of a live studio audience. No. No, it is not. A dead studio audience. <laughs> no studio audience. No studio. <laughs> An undead studio audience. <laughs> I'm fantastic. The trend continues with me being fantastic. <laughs> Somebody needs to break that streak. Not going to happen. No, no. We, we like you, sort of. At least that's what I'm going to say while you're listening. <laughs> the studio audience is listening. <laughs> pretend. Pretend. Uh, yeah, everything's going fantastic. Busy, busy, busy. But uh, I'd rather be busy than bored. So life is good. What about you, Mike? Anything new? Uh, it's been sort of a rough week for me. Um... The sex change operation. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, somebody got a hold of one of our credit card numbers and ran up a huge bill. And no, uh, I didn't. You did. And Define I'm huge. To, I'm coming to get you. I uh, like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. That wasn't me. I was the other one. <laughs> That's right. I was only ten thousand. You got the other card. And, uh, Speaking of which, want to talk about my new video games? <laughs> <laughs> I got a whole bunch of new Fixit Felix Junior arcade machines. <laughs> I'm just doing my whole room in Fixit Felix Junior arcades. I think you actually got a room full of uh, a room full of. Um, uh, the game that we played this week. Oh. I know you like it. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so funny because last week people were saying, has there ever been a, a game that you've really liked and I've hated? And, and we were thinking it's probably happened, but I was thinking secretly, I don't think it has happened. Well, brace yourself, kids. It's about to happen. We got one. Uh, I didn't love it. But, I still um, think you're punking me. And when we actually talk about this game, you're going to say that you hate it as much as I do. You're right. You got me. You got to. There can be nothing but hate for this game. Uh, but first, we have feedback. We do. We get tons of feedback. Tons and tons and tons of feedback. Um, shall I read some? Oh, feed us some back, Karen. <laughs> I shall feed you some back. So let's see. Uh, Bobby wrote in to say, saw this, thought of you guys. And he sent us a link to a neat little gadget on ThinkGeek, which is a fun place to buy stuff. And it is the Classic Arcade Wristwatch. So it's a wristwatch with basically an arcade machine strapped to it. <laughs> so, All right. And it's about as chunky as you can imagine, but it's got like a little screen, a little joystick, a little button. And you can't unfortunately play like an actual game. It's more that there's these little asteroids that float around that tell the time, like they're the second to minute hands. And you can press the little joystick and the buttons to make little pew pew noises um i would prefer it <laughs> if it was actually like a working space invaders machine or something but sure, uh, sure but it's kind of cool so thank you very much for the link we will have a link to that in the show notes in case somebody wants to walk around with a big old four inch arcade machine strapped to your wrist. 
<laughs> so it's kind of neat. Uh, we also got an email from Douglas. He's a friend of the show, written in a couple times, Douglas Delucky. He wrote in with a great, just a fantastic email that went back and forth between you and him. And I enjoyed watching it because it, it opens with the subject Mike is a fraud. All right, that's enough. Move on. <laughs> it was awesome. He opened with love the show, guys. So, you know, hey, that's a good yeah, opening. Yeah, you always know it's going to be trouble when they start out with that. Love the show, but. <laughs> but. No, this was love the show and. Love the show and. <laughs> thanks for all the games. I can play one-handed. Surgery has been postponed for a while, but it's inevitably going to happen. Anyway, on to Good, the main... I'm actually rooting for you to have surgery, Doug. <laughs> on to the main topic of my email. Mike is indeed a fraud. <laughs> Complaining about arcade machines when you are left-handed is silly. Look at the Atari 2600 right-handed controller. The mouse for my computer is next to my right hand. Number keys are on the right. And even notebooks are made for right-handed people. The point is, we learn to adjust, as Mike surely has by now. As a left-hander myself, I can assure you, after a while, we just get used to doing things backwards. Thanks for all the good work on the show. He called you out, Mike. He called you out. And I triple banned him. <laughs> he did. So the email went back and forth. It was very funny. Just talking about how really it's more about the elbow throwing. Like you like to be on the left on a multiplayer game. I sort of, I was thinking about this after I, I was responding to his, his wildly inaccurate and just plain wrong <laughs> assumptions about, about arcade gaming in general. Um, and on his I way tend, to a multi-ban. Well, I tend to, I tend to pick the, the leftmost stick with, Multiplayer games, just because I don't like to elbow people on my left when they're when they're when they're playing. But the, the fact is, the the stick setup, the stick and button setup, is the same for every position in in those games. Whether it's The Simpsons mm. or, or Gauntlet or uh, Rampage, the stick is on the left, the buttons are on the right. So he's actually right that my my argument has has no valid basis because I'm I'm always going to be using my well, all of us are going to be using our left hands on the stick and the right doing the buttons. It doesn't matter where I stand. I just don't like stabbing people with my elbow while I'm moving the stick around. And he said, well, he doesn't have that problem. Good for you, Doug. (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) So I I enjoyed the whole thing. But if you think about it, though, it is the case that for the most part nowadays, when you walk up to an arcade machine at, at your little unit, you use your left hand for the joystick and the right hand for the buttons. If you walk up to a Street Fighter machine, that's how they're laid out. Buttons go to the right. Whereas when you're using like an Atari 2600 joystick, the button is on the left part of it. You're going to hold it in your left hand, but you work the joystick with your right hand. So in a sense, that still does represent a switch from before. Well, I can't really argue with, with the Atari thing because I never, I never owned one of those. and, and so Too much Satan? Pretty much, yeah. Got it, okay. <laughs> no, I just, I think we've talked about this before. My dad wasn't going to buy a, a, mach- a machine purely dedicated to games because it was a waste of time. That's why we got the Apple II. It is a waste of time. That's so, why we're announcing our new podcast. I was No through, time wasters. I was looking through pictures. MAME has the, um, has those add-on packs, I guess, that you can download. They have like the flyer pack that gives you the flyers that you can view in the mm-hmm. GUI. And I don't have them, any of that. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is a, is control panel which is just nothing but photos of the control panels of these games and i was looking and there were even back then there were a lot of games where the stick was on the left and the button was on the right so yeah so i think it's more see when i remember the oldest oldest games a lot of times the stick was in the middle and the buttons were mirrored on either side and so you could sort of play it either way and i think i started a lot of times playing with my joystick in the right hand and just switched over because all the buttons eventually just became Right-handed buttons. Anyway, the whole topic is is quite interesting. I'd love to see somebody do a a proper real study 
And then they could write in to really call you out for the fraud you are. And I will ban them too. <laughs> so we also got a great email from Danny Kidd, a fellow Jeep lover. I too, Danny, am a big fan of the Jeeps. I owned one before and I'm thinking that'll be my next vehicle. So maybe I'll write him with Jeep requests for info. So anyway, he writes, first off, thanks for the wonderful podcast. Again, this is the way to get your email right on the show. <laughs> we leak our ego stroke oh, yes. at the beginning. <laughs> and he writes, two ideas. How about adding a link to Clov? the arcademuseum.com in the show notes. Also, how about adding the show notes to the description of each episode in the RSS feed? That way, in our podcast app, so we can click on, say, the Clove link to see screenshots or a YouTube clip of the game that's being discussed. That's actually a really good idea. I kind of thought I was already doing that, but then I checked. I'm like, oh, it looks like I'm not. Um, our publishing system, it just works on a back end that I wrote ages ago, and it looks like I hadn't enabled that part. So like the suggestion, I will go forward doing that. We often do have a link in the show notes to the Arcade Museum, depending on the the game like if we've talked about something we've mentioned the flyer i'll often get it from there and so those links will go in but i don't do it on every single show so i'm going to try to remember doing that so we'll see if that actually happens i am quite lazy so we're fighting against that um links in the rss description though that's a good idea right now i basically it just says this is the game we're discussing and maybe putting a link in there so people can jump off to info that's that's a that's a pretty swell idea so i'll I don't want you to watch our YouTube clip because then it'll play sound and you'll stop listening to our dulcet tones. You want to listen to us. We are dulcet. <laughs> but at least so you can view the, the game. That's a good idea, I think. So, well suggested, Danny. Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Then we got email that sent me off on like a two-hour video watching rabbit hole. And it's all the fault of a fellow named Andy. And it's all because I couldn't figure out how to pronounce his last name. And it seems to be something along the lines of Travel jaw, although it's got a CA on the end as well. So anyway, he wrote in to say an email of much appreciation. Hey guys, just wanted to say you found yourself a new listener and follower. I've decided to start at the beginning. I'm now on episode eight of this already classic podcast. Oh, you poor, poor man. <laughs> it's got a lot to go through. And eventually, <laughs> many episodes from now, he'll get to this one and figure out we're talking about him. Um, he says, my experience with arcades is mostly based on family car trips in West Germany when I was a child. Having grown up behind the Iron Curtain, I didn't get to play a lot of video games, though I did play the original Tetris. And every time we crossed the border into the West, we would stop at a gas station and marvel at the sights, the sound, and in my case, the shaking joystick in Afterburner. Thank you for helping me rekindle my passion for arcade games and for a wonderful podcast. Have a good time and keep making waves. So I thought that was a really nice email, just the exact sort. Like I love when somebody writes in and they say they, they like what we're doing. I mean, it's really gratifying. I also love when we get to hear about people's unique experiences and like the games they liked as a kid. In this case, like crossing over to the West and seeing the games. I just, I loved it. So I, and I wanted to figure out if I was going to, read the email on the air how would andy pronounce his last name because i'm a typical western guy and i'm like how can you have a word with an l and a j beside it that can't be pronounced so i search for how to pronounce his last name and the first link that comes up is a youtube video of him singing and it's this song called uh from another world and it's him and he's like playing guitar and the guitar playing is amazing. And his voice is crazily incredible. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> and then it turns out like that song is actually maybe a, a bit of a departure for him because he mostly sings in metal bands, like power metal and progressive metal bands. And he's been in a ton of them. Griffin and Heave and Elsevier and Aeon Zen and, and Seventh Wonder. And he's currently in something called uh, Therod. And they're like, 
total progressive the guy can totally shred he's got this great youtube video where he, he I, I started watching all these videos about he goes through how he did his solos so i sat there watching like how do you do the solos in moonless night and just like and i went on this two-hour rabbit hole of watching his videos so uh it's very nice that he's appreciated the podcast we've done i would like to just say in return i appreciate what you've done and i just had a ton of fun watching his videos great musician crazily good voice uh, i'll have a link to a whole bunch of his stuff in the show notes so if you're interested in like metal or the heavier kind of stuff this is a guy to check out. It's amazing. So I really enjoy these videos. I'm a big metalhead just in general, but lately I've really been getting into the Swedish stuff that's kind of, you know, the, the way that the United States used to be in, in the, the 80s with the heavy metal stuff. And, the and way that's that, this. And it's yeah. amazing. And and Brazil sort of is now, with especially with Brazil for some reason is focused on like Iron Maiden, but um, the, the Swedish movement is, is really, really amazing. And you were naming off the bands that he's in and I've actually heard and, and sat and listened to a lot of about half of those bands. And so I'm like really jazzed now to, yeah, to like, exactly. I'm just going to go hang up on you and listen to this stuff. Again. <laughs> you totally Bye, he's got a great channel with a bunch of great videos yeah, and yeah. his voice though. Holy cow, Andy, yeah. your voice. It's amazing. Wow. So, so holy yeah. crap, that's cool. Yeah, it was really, really cool. So that was really fun. So that's also a reason I have fewer notes than usual. Because <laughs> normally I spend an hour or two before we record and I go through the net and I try to look up things and look up history. And instead, I just watch a bunch of metal videos. <laughs> so <laughs> woohoo, throwing the horns. It was awesome. Uh, so anyway, we also got email from Jason, Jason Grutzmacher, who is a fellow Canadian, I think, from uh, yeah, Kitchener, Ontario. And he wrote in to tell us about his main setup. He says, love, love, love the show. Please don't Never stop. Hear that, Mike? We can never stop. Jason has told us. Um, so we're, we're commanded. Canadians are allowed to command. Damn, I was going to quit here in nope. like 10 minutes. Oh, that was close, Jason. Thank you. You saved the show. It says, you asked for feedback on what we, the listeners, use as our main setup, so I thought I'd share mine since I'm rather proud of it. My brother-in-law is handy with wood and has all the tools, so we built my cabinet from scratch. The wood nice. is MDF, which we shaped in what we felt was a generic cabinet fashion for the sides, and which I painted black. Cue Rolling Stone music. The controls are the XRK tank sticks secured inside a separate box, which I can remove if necessary. And since all you can see is the top of the XRK, I rewired the mouse buttons to sit on top, which is simpler than trying to reprogram the stick to work in other emulators. The, the monitor, which is basically a TV, it's a Toshiba 27-inch uh, flat screen, and it's slightly angled, so you're looking down on it, and there's basically no science to the angle, he says. We just went with what felt right. Um, the front curtains... Oh, the, sorry, the front, front curtains. The front contains a slide-out drawer in which has a, the, uh, an old laptop with its screen removed, and that's what basically is running it. So it's a Toshiba laptop, no screen, and it uses a little audio converter for the headphone jack. And uh, in the back of it, he's got a light switch, and he's got a marquee at the top. And it's, it's like you walk up to it, and it's your traditional mame and machine but he's just used the combination of of taking the bits from the tank stick and tank stick and wiring it to a to a uh, laptop and it's it's exactly what we've talked about a bunch of times that it's it's not rocket science to put together your own main machine and really the hardest part often is the woodworking so anyway he says uh as you can see i run mame 0.96 using the mame 32 front end and i have a no quarter folder with most of what you've covered there's no laserdisc play choice 10 or starcade on here <laughs> as well as a folder for my two boys and guests i keep thinking about putting a newer version of mame on there but 096 runs everything i want to run so why bother i keep telling myself the only emulator i have on there is daphne for space ace and dragon slayer since uh 096 doesn't run the laserdisc games 
He says, all in all, I spent close to $1,000 on everything, but the TV was 200, the X arcades 200, the laptop was free, but the wood and the drawer and all that was four to $500. And that's in Canadian dollars, he says. <laughs> he says, if I was doing it again, I'd be tempted to convert an old cabinet, but I really like the fact that I was able to fit the cabinet to the TV rather than fitting the TV to an existing cabinet. I definitely re recommend it for those who love the classics and it's definitely my favorite way to play. And it really is a lot of fun having friends come over for the first time and seeing their reaction to it. I have a lot of friends that I wouldn't call gamers, but they instantly become gamers when they see this and they start asking if I have their favorite classics. Thanks for the show and the time it takes each week to do it. I look forward to kangaroo and whatever comes next. So I thought that was fantastic feedback. I love looking at people's main setups and, and I like the fact that he just like took an old laptop top, got the X arcade and then just did some woodwork and said there. And unlike some of the cabinets we've talked about from like Quinn, where they really go their own way and it's sort of different look, this one would look totally at home sitting inside a traditional old fashioned arcade other than it's just got a, a, a main marquee rather than one for a particular game. So I like it. Nice choice. I think. Excellent. Yeah. I think, well, I don't know. That brings me to the end of the feedback I, I flagged for talking about. What do you got, Mike? I have an email from uh, Dr. Stephen Wyrich. I've heard of him. Uh, if you're an Apple II fan, you probably know who he is. He's and a, I've read his book. He said, this might be old news to you, but I've just learned today of a comic book based on Galaga that is, it, that is available for free. I have not had the time yet to look it up, but here is the link. So we will include that in the show notes. Ooh. Have you read it? Um... Well, I'm reading it right now. <laughs> Instead of podcasting. <laughs> I have read it. It is a, a, a webcomic uh, written by Ryan North and drawn by Christopher Hastings and Anthony Clark. And the art is actually very, very professional. It looks like it's, um, looks like this is sponsored by Namco Bandai. So it's official. And uh, we will definitely have a, a link in the show notes for you to check out. That is cool. I used to do a webcomic. I don't think that's true. Many, many years ago, when webcomics were sort of like a new thing, I did this thing called Movie Punks. Before there was um, a, a web? Yeah. Well, this was 2003, 2004, something like that. I don't know. Many years ago. And I think at the time, I even said it's going to return in like 2007, which was a few years after I stopped doing it. And of course, it has not returned. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, um, I did eight years a. Uh, it was not well drawn, <laughs> but it was, I did it three times a week for, for a year and a half or two years or something like that. I did 250 something comics plus a bunch of special hidden things and stuff. There's like another hundred comics or so hidden on the site that you can unlock and it was fun. Sounds awesome. It was not. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was really fun to do it. It got a lot of people reading it and stuff and it was kind of neat, but um, it was, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a lot of work. Well, it, what I did... A lot of things I do on the net, I'm able to put out a lot of content because I put very little effort into them. <laughs> and so what I'll do is decide like, what's the way to do it that has the, the, the least resistance. <laughs> Maximum reward. <laughs> well, in a sense, yeah, because it's more about, it's so easy to get burned out on stuff. Like mm. podcasting, for instance, like we've got a really good thing going here where we've got a system where we get in, we start recording, we know what we're doing, we've got our notes open, it minimizes the editing. And so we can, we've been able to pump this out now for a year and a half or something and never miss a week. There's a lot of people that podcast spend four or five hours producing the show. They put out four of them and then it's like way too much work and they stop. The key to these things to produce content on the net is get a system where you can move it out, move it in, move it out. So with movie punks, for instance, I did it three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I had a 15 minute rule. So whenever I sat down to do it, whatever I had done in 15 minutes, that was the comic. <laughs> 
week. So, <laughs> and you can kind of tell the weeks that I showed up with a with an all-ready-to-go idea. And the weeks where I showed up uh, sort of spent most of that 15 minutes kind of coming up with a joke. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was a lot of, you know, I had made the characters already in a graphic program in Illustrator. And I could just sort of drag them into the frame. <laughs> like, just right. let's slide them over. <laughs> now this character, you'll star in, in panel number two. <laughs> like, and so it was mostly just type the text and export it. And I was done. So. That's uh, I had a system. Yeah, it's definitely important to I think establish sort of a structure or a rhythm to the way that you do whatever it is that you do, and find one find one that works for you. I you know for me, I have to have somebody else to be responsible to. If it were just me, I, I've done I've done three of these and that'd have been it. But because it's with you, then I have to you know uh, I gotta go do this again. <laughs> but I told Carrington I would so. I'm um, the exact same way. I have often said that the easiest way to podcast is get a co-host. Yes. Um, Victor Marland, um, I know him. Yes. One of our, one of our friends at uh, 10 pence arcade. Mm-hmm. They have a uh, friends, his friends in air quotes. <laughs> no, actually, you mean enemies, no, frenemies, <laughs> British enemies. Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think there are enemies yet. They, they will yes. be once they, once they embarrass us at, at whatever game that we play. Oh, right. That's it. Um, he wrote to, to remind us that we still haven't taken them up on their, their challenge. And, uh, that's true because I'm a big chicken. Um, he says, I've been trying to make I'm some sense ham. of Kylera. Kylera for me, I guess that's that, that um, network sharing version of MAME. Uh, and also MAME Hub. I'm not really a computer guy like you boys. Well, I'm not much of a computer guy either. Uh, he says, I haven't had much luck in getting any kind of info on how to use them for internet MAME play. We'd truly like to have some competition with you. It's easy for us as Alex only lives two miles away from me. Uh, there are more co-op arcade games than you think. Cheers, Victor. Yes. Well, we might have to do something where... Um maybe we play cooperatively at one location and they play cooperatively in another. We just record our screens or something. Cause you and I will see each other probably a couple times through the year. We'll both probably go to K fest, head over to Chicago and, you know, hang out at the underground retrocade at some point. So I'm sure it'll come up where we'll both be in front of a, a main or in front of a arcade cabinet at some point. Well, I, I don't think we mentioned this on the last show, but uh, um, our sponsor has, has invited us to the Midwest gaming classic. Oh, that's right. I want to head and, down to them. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to show up there and hang out at their booth and just generally make problems for them. Well, uh, I would and, hope so. Well, I was thinking maybe that would be a good time to to schedule something with, with the boys over the, the Atlantic there. And, and uh, maybe we could, I don't know, work something out either at the arcade or at their booth. Or um, I like yeah. it. I like the way you think, yeah. Mr. So McGinnis. So that's just a general idea there, Victor and, and Alex and, and Scott, if you're listening. So come up with something and we'll do it. <laughs> Everyone else put the work in. That's right. <laughs> and we'll show up. <laughs> Awesome. I like it. Uh, and Victor also sent us a, a message on Facebook saying, uh, you guys keep asking for solutions to arcade controls. You could always get your podcast co-host, this must be directed to me, uh, to make you a nice bar top to play your arcade games on. This is the one I have nearly completed for Alex, uh, Victor from the 10 Pence Arcade. And he's produced, uh, he's in, uh, included a few pictures of the bar top thing that he's building and it looks pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah. I don't really have a problem with the creation of the cab thing so i've done that now like twice i have a problem with the front ends i'm too lazy and i'm totally i'm i'm a coder like i'm a tech guy but the front ends to maim are a pain so i don't know i'll get somebody else to do it and just send me a disc <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it's like we've talked about many times before you know if you find a working main solution for you just stick to it there's yeah. no reason to, to chase down upgrades every time a new one comes out because it it's difficult and they change stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with them changing stuff, but generally that means you've got to figure out what they've done and get ROMs working again and adjust to, yeah, it's just not worth it. So I agree. 
But the the bar top cabinet looks pretty darned awesome, Victor. Thank you for sharing that with us. Nice. Yeah. And um, I did get, and I don't have it in front of me because it's Facebook and I can never find anything in Facebook when I need it. Um, somebody, and I, I apologize, I, I don't have your name in front of me, but um, somebody wrote in and said that um, he thought that, because we talked about how, how Professor Pac-Man, there were like 400 and 300 went back the first month. Right. And yeah. you and I had never seen it, and it was a rare game. And he said he actually saw it quite a bit. So, uh, But maybe was, one person owned 100 of them and lived <laughs> near him. <laughs> That's right. So uh, it, it's just interesting to hear that, you know, at least in, in my, the arcades in my area never saw them. So. No, I never saw it ever in the wild as a kid. I don't even know if it came to Canada. Sean Courtney wrote to say that uh, I first played Pac-Man. This is, he's just talking about the general Pac-Man game, I think. I first saw I first played Pac-Man as a seven-year-old at the Holiday Inn in Bradley, Illinois in 1982, and I was instantly a huge fan. Guess I never grew out of it. I actually did consider writing a book about the franchise and wrote an intro uh, and then got real and just started blogging about it instead. We do have some, some uh, arcade-related news. The first item is actually a pinball game. I know, Carrington, that you don't like pinball. And, it's my favorite thing ever now that I've played this week's game. I'm, I'm <laughs> done with video games. I'm going to go strictly on pinball from now on. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute, but Stern <laughs> has released a pinball, uh, a brand new pinball game based on the Ford Mustang, and uh, we'll have a link to their webpage. Um, uh, we'll have a link to their the announcement, but the game actually looks really, really sweet. I can't. I'm the one up here in Denver is pretty good about getting uh, brand new pinball games and things like that in, so I'm sure I'll see it before long. That's cool. I love Mustangs. Yeah, my uncle actually has a a boss. 305, a 1972 Boss 305. I don't know if he was the original owner, but I think he may have bought it like around 75, so he's had it for that long, and he recently restored it and repainted it, and now he races it down at the local drag strip. And man, I, I'm not a car guy, but that thing is really a thing of beauty. That That is awesome. I have owned uh, two Mustangs, uh, but Ooh. not for, for quite, not at the same time or anything. I'm not, I'm not like, look, come into my garage filled with my cars. But uh, two <laughs> well, of the vehicles I have owned have been Mustangs. And uh, I absolutely adored them. Um, but I have moved on to slower cars, I guess. Slower cars for old people. The Vespa. <laughs> I had a Vespa for a while. I loved my Vespa. I, mean, <laughs> I know I, I ride around on my big old honking Harley now, but part of me, I still love, I still love scooters. Vespa is cool. I don't care what anybody says. I loved my Vespa. Welcome to the No Quarter Vespa podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I totally would do a Vespa podcast. <laughs> I loved my Vespa. And even every once in a while, I will, it'll be beautiful weather and I love motorcycles and I'll get on my Harley and, and, It'll occur to me, I gotta lug eight hundred pounds of heat. <laughs> and if I was just going to the store, I could ride my my wonderful little Vespa that weighs like ten pounds. It's just a, super fun. So I miss it. Uh, Namco Bandai has released a new game called Pac-Man Museum. It's a compilation of Pac-Man games available on uh, Xbox Live, PlayStation, uh, and Windows P3, P3, Windows PC through Steam. Uh, it was released on February twenty sixth. And it would have been good if I had t- if we talked about this uh, last time because it would have gone with Professor Pac-Man, but but we didn't. That's not how we, we roll. Well, that's right. We talk about things after they're relevant. Exactly. Uh, the the games included are the original Pac-Man, Super Pac-Man from 1982, Pac and Pal, the worst Pac-Man game ever made in 1983, <laughs> Pac-Land, Pac-Mania, Pac-Attack, Pac-Man Arrangement, uh, Pac-Man Championship Edition, and uh, Pac-Man Battle Royale and Ms. Pac-Man. You notice Ms. what they don't have? Professor Pac-Man. Even, yeah, even they right. didn't want to play that yeah. game. 
Uh, Ms. Pac-Man is available as a free downloadable content game until March 31st, and then it's a $4.99 in-game purchase, so get it now. I bought this on Steam, and I'm having a heck of a time. I'm, I'm really enjoying the heck out of it. Um, the originals are, I think they're, I think they're probably code remakes, but they're close enough uh, that if I didn't already have Mame, I'd probably enjoy them a lot more. I mostly got it because I enjoy the um, the Pac-Man, the Battle Royale, uh, that that four-player game. I was actually introduced to that at the Pinball Wizard Arcade in, in New Hampshire. I was on a road trip with. Uh, friend of mine and we stopped by there and they had that and it was a lot of fun and, and uh i think this is the first time that you can play this play a home version of that game so definitely uh if you're a pac-man a pac-man fan i i think it's worth checking out that's very cool because i have one more pac-man arcade piece of news before we move on hit me um a local player here in denver has scored a perfect game at the at the one-up a perfect pack a perfect pac-man game and these days, a bunch of people have done it. Basically, that's that's where you play all the way through the game with one guy, every dot, every fruit, every ghost. You don't miss anything. You don't die. And and a lot of people have have done this. Uh, that seems to have become the new sort of thing because you can't, you know, the, the because of the two hundred and fifty sixth screen. That's mm-hmm. you can't. You can only go so far in the game. So so now the competition has become speed runs and how quickly you can do the perfect game. It's so out of my league. It's crazy. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just like the idea of being able to play to the end to me is mind blogging. Like, so, but you know, just because I get all the way to the end and do everything, that's not enough. I got to get every dot. Oh, that's not enough. I got to also never die even once. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, come on. This end, oh, you know what? I, I did it. I got all the way to the end. I got every dot, every fruit, every, everything. I never died. You know what? It's all about how fast I can do that. Now you're just showing off. <laughs> like, it's just, it's unfair how good people are <laughs> crazy, man. Just absolutely crazy. The article that I found is, uh, we'll have a link to it. It's on westward.com. It's about five pages and it really gets, it's in depth. The guy's name is Jeff Pickles. And You're making that up. I, I wish I were. So does Jeff. Yep. Yeah. But it's a cool story and I recommend checking it out. Now, Carrington, you can do your news. My news is awesome news. I guess. It's not about perfect packs. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> about, um, uh, cabinets here in Toronto. There, ear, there, ear, there are a series of three um, classic, well, classic looking, but with new games in them, arcade machines set up in the Art Gallery of Ontario, which is, uh, I believe, Canada's largest art gallery. And they are part of a group of machines called the Torontorons. And it cool. seems like there were the Winatrons in Winnipeg released back in 2009 or something. And then, and since then, there's been this thing where people make indie games and then house them in real full stand-up arcade cabinets. So people can sort of experience new games and new digital media, but using a traditional, you know, weighty format. And it's been done in the Netherlands. It's been done in New Zealand, New York. Uh, Chicago, Shanghai, Pittsburgh, Australia, Oakland, all over the place. And so there's another series of them running in Toronto. They're currently set up in the Art Gallery of Ontario. And it was put together by a group called the Hand-Eye Society uh, here in Toronto, which is just fantastic. So they're a group of um, you know game developers and, and such. And one of them is a fellow named Jim Monroe. And he's currently the artist in residence 
at the AGO. And I'm a huge fan of his anyway. So if people don't know his name, Jim Monroe is, uh, I always think of him as a, a writer, but he also does now filmmaking and digital media and a whole bunch of stuff. He's just sort of an all around do everything modern artist. But I um, became a fan of his because of his books. And he was the first person I knew who was putting out self-published books that you could walk into uh, a regular big bookstore and they were just on the shelves. It wasn't like self-published stuff that you had to order specially or whatever. Um, and the first book of his I read was this a novel that I highly recommend called Flyboy Action Figure Comes with Gas Mask. <laughs> and it's wow. amazing. And he's a science fiction writer. He wrote a book called Angry Young Spaceman, which is really good as well. Um, and just and, and this really neat diary book that was done in the form of a blog of with this girl whose roommate is like this demon. And and he did it. It was released as blog chapters online and then and then put together this book. He does really neat things. And he and he's run this thing called No Media Kings, which is essentially a publishing brand for people who do self-publishing. So if you want to do your own stuff, it would just give you advice and you can use their little logo and get support. And he's just a big promoter of you know, make your own movie and put it out. Make your own book and put it out and just do stuff. And he's yeah. a really interesting Canadian artist. I love what he's now doing with with digital media and with video games and, and saying, hey, let's look at video games as art and interaction and that kind of stuff. And now he's got, at the AGO, he's now got these three video games set up. And so I'm really pleased with what he's doing as the artist in residence and just really interesting fellow. So uh, we'll have a link to the, the Hand-Eye Society if you're interested in that, if you're a local Toronto person want to get into video games to see what they're doing for game development. And I'll link to this uh, the stuff at the AGO so you can see what's set up there. And if you're in Toronto or visiting, it goes until March 21st. So you still have a couple of weeks and you can drop by the AGO and play these games on the big cabinets. Cool. Yeah, it's really neat stuff. Good for Canada. <laughs> Go Canada. This crispy corn cereal has added new Super Pac-Man marshmallows like me, the biggest ghost chomper of all. Ghost chompers. I'm a ghost chomper too. It's Pac-Man. A chomping good part of a nutritious breakfast with me and me, Super Pac-Man. Are we are we going to talk about our game now? Um, yes, it's time to talk about this week's game, Carrington. Oh. In fact, I know you love it so much. I'm going to let you lead us off on this. Okay, it's called. Mighty Monkey. It's from 1982, and it's terrible. No, that's also wrong. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. You didn't like this game, really? I really think, in my opinion, that of all the games we played, this is by far the worst. Even worse than Elevator Action? <laughs> You're a force of evil. Elevator Action is amazing. <laughs> but this is episode number, what, 74? And of those 74 games, this, in my opinion, ranks worst by far. I will be very surprised if we ever review a game I like less than this. <laughs> okay, see, now this is interesting because this is a game that I actually kind of like. I don't, I don't hate it. It's not my top 10, but I had a good time playing it. It's it not was... in my top infinity. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pick any number. It didn't make that list. <laughs> my goodness. I would rather step up and make pew-pew noises of my own in front of a cabinet that's been turned off than have to play this game again. Wow. Awful, awful, awful. 
Listen to you go off on a game here. Yep. About time. It's so funny because it was just last week people saying, is there a I'm like, yeah, here, here is the one that Mike likes and I cannot stand. <laughs> and I'm going to talk now for the next half an hour or something about why this game is so awful. Everything you bring up about it, I will tell you why it's bad. <laughs> so Mighty Monkey, as you said, Karen, is a game produced by uh, Universal and, and released in 1982. It's, it's a side-scrolling uh, shooter. Uh, you start off on the left and you are this little monkey in sort of a flying floating pot, I guess you could call that. I thought it was a, um, like a, a flying carpet. Does it really matter? I mean, you can't, you can't see actually what it is. And, and so you're flying across this field from, from left to right. And there's stuff on the bottom of the screen, which really isn't interesting unless you run into it, then you, you die. And these waves of, of whatever those things are, I don't, I, I didn't do a lot of reading. They're I like couldn't bugs. Find a, it looks yeah, like maybe kind of. I couldn't find a lot out about the game online just from doing some googling around. Well, I know it's based as, on the Monkey King, which is okay. from the Pilgrimage to the West, which is a very famous you know Chinese fantasy novel. I've read it in translation. Monkey King is one of like the all time great traditional characters. I love Monkey King. Monkey King's awesome. Maybe that's why I hated this game so much because this is you know defiling the wonderful memory of the Monkey King. <laughs> Wow. So as you, and, and the gameplay is very simple. Uh, you are sort of floating around in the screen and, and the scenery floats by you from, from comes in from the right, moves off to the left. It, that actually doesn't really play that much of a part in the game because you can turn around and sort of, and you can move back a little bit, backwards a little bit. These waves of bugs come in and your job simply is to shoot them. And then another wave comes in and, and, and there are, what three or four sort of play areas? I yeah, guess, kind of. You, you go through kind of three stages. Yeah, that repeat. Right, and and the last one is by far the most difficult. It's it's this kind of cave thing, and there's these really you know the stalactites and the stalagmites, and and they're really close in together. And it's easy to run into stuff and and die in that section. I died a lot in in the final section, the final area of each level, uh, which I'm sure is you know in, intentional. It's supposed to get harder as you move through the game, and then it repeats and. And there's this this cute little music playing in the background. There's like Fairy Jaka and, and exactly, it's it's ridiculous children's noise. Fairy Jaka, what is Fairy Jaka? <laughs> I mean, in my mind, I'm singing this Dorme Vu. Dorme. I'm like, <laughs> like, come on, so like, why is Fairy Jaka playing during this game? Because it's because and twinkle, it's a public twinkle, domain little song. star and like these ridiculous little children's public they're, domain songs. Yeah, they're public domain, so they didn't have to to pay for them. And at first, I'm it's cute, brother John. And be- because there are, there are four or five different themes that, that play, and you know, okay, well, there's variation. Once you get into the game, it's the same songs over and over, and it, it starts to get a little bit annoying, just a little bit. It's, no, it and, starts a little annoying, and it gets more <laughs> annoying from there. Ridiculously bad choices, distractingly bad choices for music. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it's it's not... It's, it's Frere Jaka. So? It's not great, but it's, it's not horrible. It's a space monkey shoot 'em up game, and they pick Frere Jaka and, like, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and stuff. It's, like, well, the worst music choices ever. It's so bad. Just on just on what you said alone, a, a space monkey shoot 'em up game, that should say it should awesomeness. Be, shouldn't that be good? How do you ruin a space monkey shoot 'em up game? <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not great, but it's the, not that the bad. The graphics are horrible and glitchy no. as heck, and the colors are terrible with these blue clouds and these absolutely awful colors. You've your your monkey guy 
is holding up this little X thing that just spins for, I don't even know what it's supposed to be. And that's what you shoot out of. So you're throwing these and the, your shots are a single pixel, this little dot. And the graphics for the bad guys have lots of areas where your dots can just go through them. So frequently you shoot characters and nothing happens because you have to hit the main body of them. Otherwise your shots just don't affect them. Like the collision detection is terrible in this game. I didn't notice that at all. You're crazy, man. Um, yeah, the, the clouds, so they're, they're these the clouds that float by in the background and, and I wasn't paying attention to what you said, so I may, <laughs> I may repeat it here, but yeah, I, you occasionally, if you were shooting the, your shots would disappear into a cloud and not come out the other side. Um, the, each level starts off with this sort of dragon, I guess that, that floats by. And if you can shoot the dragon before it makes it off to the right side of the screen, it turns into these little fireballs. And at that point, you have to press your second button. You have two buttons, and one is for fire, and the other is to change the mode, I guess, that you're in. And you go from the monkey to this little floating dragon head, and you eat up these fireballs, and then you can press it. But while you're in that state, you can't shoot. So the, the incoming bugs, uh, you're, you're sort of helpless while you're in that state. Um, and part of the strategy of the game is, is being able to switch back and forth quickly so that you can grab, because later in the game, in, when the dragon floats on the screen, the first few... Um, times that the, the fireballs just sort of rotate in a circle. And when you're in your monkey form, if you hit one, you die. Um, and, but you want to grab up as many as you can later on, they will sort of, they will direct themselves at you and you need to switch to the dragon, eat them and switch back while these other things are coming at you so that you can shoot them. And it becomes, it's, it's a game like, like, like all the, like, you know, it has the standard formula of we're going to throw the same stuff at you, but it's going to be faster and they're going to be more accurate. Uh, so the game is really repetitive, and after a while, it, it gets kind of boring. But I, I still don't get the, the Carrington hate here. I hated everything about this game. I hated the fact <laughs> that my shots just go through the bad guys. I hate the fact that you can hit this in the cave, you can hit the stalactites, but not actually touch them. You can be like two or three pixels away, you still die. Collision detection is terrible there, too. I hate the fact that when you get to that stage when you're in the cave, you suddenly have this weird inertia where you move and you'll keep sliding even when you when you stop moving where you don't on any other stage, but suddenly when there's walls, you might hit you're sliding all over the place that I hated the fact that the enemies would come on screen on the earlier stages and they'd sort of either go to the top of the screen or touch the bottom. And then they become the fireball thing. And then they just sort of bounce around meaninglessly. And you have to, it just, I, I, I the, and the music was driving me crazy to hear for Shaka over and over and over again. It's such a terrible choice for a Chinese game. I, I thought the graphics all looked like they were just made by like children. At the end of each stage, this giant blue monkey head appears and winks at you. And even we'll the think. even the real well, yeah, but it's mostly this big blue thing. Well, no, I for me it was the first few levels. The monkey head was pink, and then it turned blue later on. No, I just remember the blue and, and it winks at you. You. Sometimes with one eye, sometimes with the other. I could never figure out why which eye would wink. And well, even the winking you doesn't. You, you made it. Uh, the next level. Monkey wink. Even the wink is done mm. badly, where the, it, it's got like a square that sort of appears over the eye and it doesn't quite cover the eye. Like they didn't even. It's a giant eye and they couldn't even mask it out correctly. It's so sloppily done. It looks like it was made in a weekend. Uh, it, it's complete, like the bottom of the barrel shovelware. I'm embarrassed to have played this game. It's wow. awful. It's so awful. So you didn't you liked it even less than that that game we played the other universal game with that it was just a, a collection of parts of their other games with the wheels that did nothing and the Yeah, actually I think I liked that one. <laughs> okay. This this is the only game I can remember like 
tr- we've played a couple of games that were like like Clash Road, which I found unplayably difficult because they're bad. This was unplayably terrible, and I hated the fact that the collision detection and I was shooting through bad guys all the time. It just couldn't collect anything. Like it just it was so frustrating to just shoot through the bad guys. It's like my shots. It, I'd say at least a third of the time you shoot enemies and, and it, nothing happens. Just terribly coded. And the only reason I kept playing was it has a default high score of 20,000. So I wanted to see, I always like to see at least what does the the screen look like when you enter your name. So I, I kept at this game just so I could beat the 20,000. First time I did it, I got to enter my name, took a screenshot, threw it on Twitter, and I was done. And, and immediately you posted a screenshot on Twitter with a higher score, which normally, because I'm super competitive, would motivate me to dive back <laughs> in. But I was like, you know what? Take it. Have it. Have it. That's just a badge of your suffering that you stuck with this game longer. No, I... That. Wow, I enjoyed the game. I, I did. Like I said, it wasn't my top ten. It's not one that I would buy. I don't understand because you hate everything. Well, because How can you not my, hate this game, it's Carrington. It's it's a fun light. Who are you? Game. And what have it's you done not, with Mike? You know, and it's not the the awesomeness that is the elevator action or oh. Buck Rogers or anything like that. But it's not that awful. Oh, I play Buck Rogers over this any day. At least those are games made professionally like this is slapped together by some hack who is learning his first video game it's a right, beta so at best by a high school student i'm looking at the, the the flyer right now for mighty monkey and it even tells you on the flyer and the flyer that it's lovely music that accompanies each of the of the game's challenging phases i'm gonna read you from the flyer which shows you the example of the quality gone into this how to play mighty monkey can shoot all kinds of animal by bullet but is dead met with flame and flying and standstill animal. Mighty Monkey can be transformed to dragon as your wish, and dragon can eat flame but is dead met with flying and standstill animal. You get 100 scores whenever Mighty Monkey hit one flying animal or dragon eat one flame, but if Mighty Monkey hit one standstill animal, you can get only 50 scores. If bullet hit flame, you get no score. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. (laughs) Well done. Really polished. Is that that racist if i laugh because that's no because it's not i know it's the thing that's being translated over to english but it shows that in making this flyer for distribution in english speak here they said why why should we care whether it reads fine or anybody can understand it and it's got sloppy like slightly out of order screenshots pasted on that don't quite line up like it's just everything about the game that that just screams we're just trying to push it out and we we really don't care about quality let's just I mean, this is the cause of the video game crash. <laughs> this this is game, the, Mighty Monkey, destroys the, the, the video game industry. Yep, I think this is patient zero. Uh, people saw this and said, oh, that, that would just forget it. Let's go to home consoles. Oh, Carrington, it wasn't that bad. Lightning. Uh, it was made by this, uh, so it was distributed by Universal right. Games, manufactured by Yi Lung Enterprises in Taiwan, but actually designed, took some digging to find this, designed by this company called Improvement Computer Company Limited. As far as I can tell, it was a one-man operation in Taiwan. So this dude just was contracted to pump this out over a weekend, and he no doubt had most of a Sunday free. Well, it does appear that this is the only game that he put out. Um, maybe, maybe he was banned from making any more games after this. I didn't, I didn't really hate it that much, but maybe, maybe I like the, the cabinet more. Carrington? No, no, you wouldn't. As far as I can tell, like I've seen screenshots of a cabinet on flyers, but no photos of cabinets anywhere. So it's, I'm pretty sure the cabinet was just released as a mock-up, but they never actually put this out as a standalone cabinet. So supposedly it was going to have crazy full, like full painted 
covering every square inch art, like the art on the, the mock-ups of the cabinet isn't just full, uh, full-size art. It's like fully painted, goes to all the edges, massively detailed and colorful on the front as well. And just like crazily detailed bezel that was never actually released. <laughs> like when this was released as like a PCB board upgrade to, to other machines. It looks like it was built on scramble hardware and it was actually implemented as a ROM hack to a scramble board. So that's how it was sold. And then a second one on super Cobra was done. Cause they basically used the same hardware. As far as I can tell, that's how this was actually made as the original. Yeah. We talked about uh, when we did the scramble episode about how uh, they decided not to encrypt anything and, and, that immediately led to bootlegs of all kinds of games showing up on Scramble hardware, and this was one of them. This was indeed one of them. Is this a rare cabinet? Could I go down to 7-Eleven and see you, one? You can't buy this cabinet by, by law, by court <laughs> order. You're not allowed to. I no, see. you know, I have no idea. I've, I couldn't find a single version of anybody. Nobody owns one. Like on, I think one guy owns a board on Clove, and that's it, and nobody wants that one. I did searches on eBay and arcade sellers and forums, and I couldn't find a single person ever asking for or selling any piece of this arcade game ever. Well, those people are crazy. This is, a great, I, this is not a great <sighs> game, but it's fun. No, I did find a thread. Um, I found a site called mametesters.org where people who test mm-hmm. MAME versions yeah. – have threads to discuss things. And on that, there was somebody discussing how the colors in the game seemed incorrect. And so I'll link to that just so people can see the site and see this. Like, so there's this thread where people are saying like, they're looking at screenshots from the flyer and it'll show like at the top of the screen, it's got words like, you know, one up and high score. And those are in red. But when you play it in MAME, those are in bright yellow and all the colors in the screenshots on the flyer seem very, very different from the colors in MAME. So he, the person was thinking like, it looks like it's, it's implementing the wrong colors, or it could be just like these flyers are slapped together and maybe they were the wrong colors. Who knows? But, um, apparently like the colors that you get when you play this are very different than the colors in the promotional material. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, I, I do sort of agree that, that the colors were, were odd, the color choices. I don't know that, that I would have picked those myself. I thought so too, because they're, they're super garishly vibrant, like the, the almost like uh, ZX Sinclair graphics, but like taken to an extreme with the, like the really bright cyan and stuff. So, which is the color of the clouds. Yeah. And it's funny because there was lots of instances where there would be white. So it's not like they couldn't implement white clouds. It's just that the person who made this really doesn't like the people who play his games. Like, <laughs> you know what I'll do? I'll make your eyes look at these clouds, bright blue cyan with green on them. Yeah, that's fun. Oh, it is. Stop it. It's just fine. It's not, it's not a great game, but it's not... It's the game not, is bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> so anyway, I played it and I would never play it again. What does it run on though? Do you know like what the... Is it the same as a typical scramble game for its like CPU and stuff? Mighty Monkey uses a Z80 at 3.073 megahertz for the chip. Another Z80 at 1.789 megahertz for the sound generation and two AY38910A chips at 1.789 megahertz. Um, and it has a 256 by 224 pixel screen, uh, and a 99 color palette. Ha. It is a two player alternating game with two buttons. As we said, one to fire and one to turn into your dragon and back again. And I think there should be more of this arcade cabinet out there. In fact, I think every game, every arcade game in the Toronto area needs to be replaced with this. The way, now, the way you can get this, because you, you basically you're not going to get a cabinet. I don't think they existed or they're all burned in fear and hatred. But you, 
it, this is the game that, like, when you get those boards that have, like, 201, 301, 30,001 games, mm-hmm. as soon as you get beyond, like, 80 games or so, there's only so many classic games people actually know, and they just start to fill out the board with, with extra, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of the same game over and over again. This is one of the games that appears on all those multi boards so if you buy like 121 or 301 or 601 or whatever they all have mighty monkey on it so it is it is fairly generic in that sense it's easy to get your hands on it um just i don't know why you would want to do that to your hands well i imagine that they this is this is a game that they felt that they could probably put this on that board and not encounter any legal problems right yeah because no one cares. Who's, who's going to admit they made it? Who's who's going to come forward and say I made that game? All right, I'm suing you. All right, that's that would enough. be shameful. Enough, shameful. I can't believe you made me play this game. <laughs> you picked it. Carrington <sighs> um, had oh. to do poorly. I did. I did. <laughs> not only did I not enjoy it, I also did poorly. And everybody's going to get a free drink because of it. I apologize to our sponsor for costing him all the money. So. Um, uh, my best score, the only score where I beat the 20,000, the first time I beat the 20,000 and then walked away from this game, I got 21,400. I know you already beat me because you've already posted at least one screenshot showing you beat me. Whatever. So my best was 21,400. What'd you get? Well, I enjoyed it enough to keep playing it, of course, like any reasonable arcade gamer would. Uh, and the shot that I posted was 31,050, which got me into, that got me to level six. And I played, kept playing, and I ended up getting 38,020, um, which I think got me only one or two levels further because it gets, it gets a lot more difficult just because things speed up and the screen fills up quickly. But it's repetitive enough that if you sort of learn the, learn the patterns of, of the way the bugs come at you, they sort of swirl across the screen in these needle arcs. It's kind of like, you know, when, the, when the, you're playing uh, Galaga and the, and the bugs come diving down at you, they don't just come straight down. They sort of sweep back and forth. and it's a similar movement in this game, and and I, I I don't think the game was programmed so that the bugs would necessarily come directly at you, but they I think it felt like there was some at least some sort of tracking because if you were in say the lower left, the bugs would sort of swirl their way down there. It was I found it very easy to to go the wrong way at the last second and run right into these things. So I did find it challenging, but not too difficult. It, it was kind of repetitive and and not. Not, like I said, not a great game. Obviously, not as terrible as Carrington is, is making it out to be. Um, played at least once. Whatever. <laughs> All right, well. I found this site called Mame Action Replay, mm-hmm. which is another site where people will post like their scores or they seem to get together and they'll do like a run and everybody plays it and they total what the total score was for the group and, and average scores and, and that sort of stuff. So your score would would have positioned you as number four worldwide according to that group um three people would have done better than you one guy just anthony rocked it at 167,000. that's crazy but most people were getting scores in the in the lower than even me in the teens um it's a tough game it is it's it, it does ramp up in difficulty and for me it was a matter of patience and, and learning the rhythm of those it's that third stage that third stage when you're in the cave that's the killer i found the first stage is a a cakewalk it's so easy to get through that uh second stage there's a little bit more going on because there can be those fireballs and stuff but it's that third stage and it's not because i'd run into the enemies it's because i'd hit the wall because that weird inertia thing that kicks in in only that stage where you don't stop when you think you'll stop and you keep flying all over the place quickly and i would just slam into the walls all the time in third stage i found the third stage I, i i got a lot better at it when i realized that you don't the game's going to slowly sort of scroll you from left to right anyway, but um, 
I sort of concentrated on just avoiding the 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 cave walls, and then you know, okay, the shots are going to come, and I'll I'll shoot them when I have the chance, and that's what got me through. There there is no high score submitted to Champown, so we don't have a world record on that. I'd say you have the world record, <laughs> and I'm number two. Um, and uh, I guess it's time to to end your suffering, Terrence. We'll, we'll go ahead and. Move on to next week's game. And, better and not sound like this week's game again. <laughs> next week's game will be Mighty Monkey again. It'll be Frere Jaca, the game. <laughs> <I'll just play. laughs> Tape you to a chair and make you listen You to play Brother and John, and the, the, <laughs> the player has to figure out if you are sleeping or not. See, this isn't actually my fault, though, because one, you picked this, and two, some, one of our listeners suggested it. So. But it's not fair. You, you, never, you always offer me two choices, and I'm always going to pick the one I haven't heard of. So we're going to get a lot of shovelware. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and this week's game may fall into that category. Okay, so what's it sound like? Sounds like this. All right, Carrington. Well, well, thank you for uh, for podcasting with me once again, even though that it was a game that you unreasonably didn't like. <laughs> I didn't like it quite reasonably. <laughs> well, we will see if I can like. I'll, I'll have more likes next week. Yep, we'll be uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, another game, and and maybe if you guys are headed to to the Midwest Gaming Classic, we'll see you there. Sounds good. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Frère Jacques, Frère Jacques, dormez-vous, dormez-vous. Yes, I am asleep, cause this game is so boring, it put me in a coma, it put me in a coma.